You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Welcome to the show. The interview subject I've got prepared for you is Jack Thomas from Sydney-based Death Sludge Outfit, Burial Pit. Now, the catalyst for the conversation is indeed a new album. Subhuman Scum from the band is due for release on May 21st via Blight Town Records. Now, I'd only heard... As you'll hear through the conversation, one song from the record, Lord of Limbs is the name of that tune, and it's an it's a killer tune. It's fucking awesome, as a matter of fact. I expect big things from subhuman scum. And that's also on the back of this conversation here with Jack. I enjoyed it a lot. Got to know him, got to know about the band and what Jack does as a profession. So enjoy. Here he is, Jack Thomas from Burial Pit. What's been happening today, anyway? Oh, man, finished work two minutes ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, what are you well, doing? Part of, part of work. Uh, I'm a music therapist. Oh, wow, um, shit. But I, uh, I'm doing this kind of mentoring program for new grads, so I just had a, an hour of telling a new grad. It's all going to be all right. <laughs> yeah yeah i get that feeling too yeah i just uh i finished at bond i'm obviously a mature age student but i finished a journalism degree at bond last year nice and, one uh, now i'm moving into teaching and uh I'm, I'm ghostwriting biographies i've got a few up that are happening at the moment but uh unfortunately being a writer starting out doesn't necessarily pay the mortgage and uh the electricity yes. bill if you know what i'm saying so uh, <laughs> teaching is the next stop and uh, i'm doing, enrolled in a cert for about to start that through CQU. Nice one. So we'll see. We'll see how it all goes. Yeah. Yeah. Is that for secondary or primary or? No, it'll be adult education. So uh, the I'll do my master master of letters through CQU as well, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping to springboard directly from the cert four into a tutoring gig. Oh uh, yeah, nice. Uh, at CQU, there one <laughs> of the unis up here. So Southern Cross Uni, uh, CQU. Um, South Queensland University, the one out at Toowoomba, maybe uh, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. As you know, mate, nowadays a lot of this stuff is now done the way we're doing it now. Yeah, you know, so uh, that's the plan. But uh, we'll see how things turn out in the long term. <laughs> yeah, sounds good though. Indeed. So uh, I'm, I'm curious though because I see a lot of parallels between what you're doing in your role in the day-to-day and what you're doing here with Burial Pit mm. because you're, you're an academic, so you'll understand where I'm coming from. I'm, I'm sick to death of the ignorance of the mainstream press, Rolling Stone, Vice, Noisy, Pitchfork, all of the fuckheads, I call them, who just ignore <laughs> ignore extreme metal completely, just marginalise mm. it completely. But you obviously have found, uh, it's found a place not just in your life but in your day-to-day through being a musician as well. So mm. how, do you balance, how do you balance the two? I think the, um, I guess having the extreme, I actually used this in a job interview the other day because they were asking me, they say, because so I work in kind of the um, acute mental health um, settings. So with uh, young adults and adults as well. Um, And a lot of the time they ask, you know, how do you manage dealing with, you know, working in this kind of space and the stories that you hear and everything you take from that. And for me, like <laughs> the extreme metal is uh, exactly, you know, it's my supervision and how, how I manage that. So I kind of, mm. and a lot of that actually ends up leading towards some of the lyrical content I get as well. Um, you know, I work with a lot of young people who are, um, you know, have experienced horrific trauma um, and been through so many things that no one should have to go through, let alone, you know, someone under the age of 15 Hmm. um and you know a lot of the time perpetrators uh of those things are very lightly punished if punished at all and um i guess i see the impact of all the horrible things people do like you know really firsthand so that's where and where the burial pit stuff and the lyrics for that come from is just that kind of the (laughs) the anger and rage that builds up from seeing all this Hmm. um and I'm not actually a violent person, but it's a way to get those kind of, you know, <laughs> that aggression out in a, in a safe space. So 
you write the lyrics, I take it, then it isn't Scott, Scott that's doing it. No, yeah, so I, I do all the music and lyrics uh, for Burial Pit. Yeah. Okay. Scott writes so, great stuff as well and did in our, in our previous band. Um, hmm. Just for this one, I think it was mainly I'd already kind of written it all when we got it going. So. <laughs> uh-huh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just keep on talking about your music therapist role for a bit because I haven't spoken to somebody like you before and what, what you do actually does fascinate me. Hmm. Um, from the perspective that you're dealing with people who have suffered trauma and you're obviously a musician, clearly, otherwise I wouldn't be talking to you. But is it a case of use case scenario in terms of the sort of sounds and music that you choose to use in order to sort of build a relationship with somebody? Yeah, absolutely. So everything music therapy based should be person-centered or client or patient, depending on what you're working in. But always has to be individualized and based on what that person is into. Um, so with whenever I start any work with the younger people, I'll always start with just saying, you know, here's Spotify, what do you like? <laughs> um, a lot of the time pretend to like it. <laughs> um, but for young people, I think that's where music therapy is really beneficial because it's, um, it's something that's, particularly young people, music, sorry, music is something they identify with on such a personal level. Mm. Um, so when you introduce that into like a hospital environment or um, a special school or any kind of clinical setting, um, it really builds rapport with them so quickly because it's a reminder of who they are outside of the space they're in or outside of their diagnosis or any of that stuff. It's actually when you're working in music, you're working with the actual person, not all the other shit. Mm-hmm. So I find, um, you know, I have really um, <clears throat> people with, you know, internalizing emotional disorders who are really shut off from the world. And um, just by sharing music with them or getting them to show something, acknowledging it, showing something back that you think is kind of similar, telling them that's cool. <laughs> and all of a sudden they'll just totally open up. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing to see an awesome thing to be able to do as well. So it sounds I do like to a lot of shit though. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet. But but it's but it sounds it sounds like as though you're using music. Music is the tool that allows you to build trust with someone who's been completely traumatized, and therefore mm-hmm. you can point. You, is it your job then to point them in the right direction or to give them the sort of um, pathway to getting better again? Is that how it works after that? In some ways, yeah. So a lot of it is. Um... Again, like, like kind of like you said, like be, being a positive figure you know, for people who haven't had a lot of positive people around them. Um, I think a sense of achievement is a really huge part of well-being for people with emotional disorders or mental health conditions. And music is really achievable. <laughs> I think to play stuff really well is very hard. Um, but I can give someone a, you know, a bass or a ukulele or something and within 30 seconds there is a song of some sort that I'll be able to get them to play all the way through. And then, you know, in that moment, not only is the trust building with someone who's a positive um, figure, but also they've had really easily without having to put too much effort in, had an experience where they've done something that feels good, sounds good. They're getting told that they're good. And at least for that moment, you know, they feel good about themselves. And that kind of, it's the flow on effect. So like we know in music therapy, like we're not trying to, it's not curative and we're not trying to, like I'm not going to go in all the time and open up Spotify and change someone's life. Um, but it's really a lot of the time it can be that first step towards other services. And because it's a, you know, a non-invasive therapy um, and it's so easy to kind of engage young people in it, it can show them that other therapies, which they might be hesitant to get involved in, might actually, you know, be a positive experience for them. So it can kind of be, it's a bit of a gateway in that sense. And same, like I work in a high school, which is, um, (laughs) it's a special school for secondary students with, again, with emotional disorders. Um, And we have some who will literally only attend on the days that I'm there. So then we look at kind of showing them that this is a cool reason to come to school. And then when you're at school, maybe you can start engaging in these other activities and then you do start to see a bit of a follow effect from there on how they engage and I guess their whole schooling experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I'm, a, I'm a gateway yeah. driver, I guess. 
<laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah, I understand. And and I take it uh, black metal, death metal, extreme metal doesn't come up too often in the uh, the therapeutic angle, or am I wrong? Uh, with angsty teens, you get more than um, in other areas, I think. <laughs> so the like at the hospital, I'm at, they're a bit younger, so not so much. But in the high school, and I may have, you know, attempted to convert a little bit, but <laughs> definitely got a few uh, pretty solid metalheads at the school now. <laughs> nice work, man. Yeah, no, good to chat about that. As I say, it's uh, roles like uh, roles like this that you do here. They they do they are fascinating because you don't meet someone who does what you do more or less ever this is the first time and i'm not sure i'll meet somebody again just i mean how many were in your graduating cohort two or three of you or something like that or was it more uh, of a we were the we were the biggest year they'd had and we were 13 i think mm. um, but the year before it was like five but it's actually grown heaps so now in, there's only two courses in the country but i went to western sydney and i think they get about 30 30 40 on the course each year um and the, the NDIS is a big part of that so because, do you know the NDIS? Yeah, I'm yeah. familiar enough with it without being able to, to go into any detail. Yeah, continue. <laughs> Basically, it's yeah. just like where people get their disability funding from now. Um, and because the NDIS enables people to choose their own services, whereas previously their funding would go to an organisation and whatever they could offer, you could get. So if they didn't have the music therapist, you couldn't get it. Um, but with the NDIS... Um, anyone can contact a music therapist and be like, we want it. Um, so that's been absolutely massive uh, for the industry. And because of that, there's more jobs and more people doing it. I think the names is getting out there a bit more as well. I think just the general approach to health has changed a lot, particularly in the last decade of, you know, looking at people as machines where there's a broken part and we take it out and put it back in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are realizing now that, what separates us from machines is what we yeah. actually need to be working on. Yeah, it's more holistic, the approach to therapeutic yeah, rehabilitation, that's it, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it, yeah. All right, let's switch topics then to the reason for the chat, which is uh, Burial Pit, your killer band. Look, Lord of Limbs, that's what Miller sent through to me. And yeah. I know it's from an upcoming, your debut, as a matter of fact, Subhuman Scum. Wow. Okay, so the name of the band is Burial Pit. The name of the tune is Lord of Limbs and the name of the album is going to be Subhuman Scum. That just, I just love the fact you're not trying to you know, be fancy. You're being direct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know but exactly what you're going to hear when you play it. <laughs> I like it. i never forget when uh, Ice-T spoke about his rap albums. He said, why are people complaining about it? They've got bullet holes and blood coming out of them. <laughs> yeah. One of my album covers, you should know what the hell you're getting when you buy my material. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very much the same for you. But look, it's a, as I say, I've only got the one tune to go go on, but uh, mm. holy shit, man, that's a nasty, nasty piece of grooving death sludge. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, man. You're, you're, you're a man after my own heart with that sort of material because, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that's my opinion on it. But um, have you got anything to add in terms of the sounds that the band is conjuring? Do you think I'm on the right path by calling it a, a, a piece of, a nasty piece of grooving death sludge? Man, I think that sums it up perfectly. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was going for. Because, um, yeah, I guess prior to Burial Pit, I was playing um, in a band called Yanomamo, which Scotty's still in. That's how I met Scotty. Um, and that was a lot more of the kind of doom, sludge, stonery type stuff, the Sabbathy, all that kind of mm. Sabbath worship-inspired stuff. Um, and I was writing for them as well. Um I didn't, you know, I liked writing the grooves and stuff, but that wasn't really what I listened to much. Um, and then I remember particularly listening to, uh, <coughs> I think it was I Heard My Will the first time, the Primitive Man track of Caustic. And I was just like, fucking hell. Um, it's pretty low. Yeah, how can I amazing. do anything yeah. like this? <laughs> I realised pretty fast that I couldn't. Um, <laughs> but I also realised... Uh, I guess when you mentioned the groove thing, like I, I struggled uh, to write stuff that was just slow and just punishing and just kind of like dragging you. Because um, personally, I like to listen to stuff that can be, you know, super heavy, but also catchy and groovy. Um, and that was, I guess, inspired by kind of Gate Creeper, that kind of mm. new new wave of old school death metal. Don't know what you'd call that. It's um, <laughs> a good description, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just kind of wanted to kind of blend that stuff together. Um, but yeah, if to you it sounds like 
grew the death sludge, then job done. It's it's quite possibly. I don't know if you can get heavier or darker than what you've conjured here. It's it's. I mean, it's out there. I mean, I listen to stuff like uh, Trepanering's Ritual, in which isn't typical music. You know, you know, if you know what Thomas does there, it's uh, it's pretty out there. But um, your yours is about as heavy as you can get before you start going to bands like Portal. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's still it still sounds like music. Your music. You know. If you know yeah, that's. Yeah, that, that is. Uh... Yeah, yeah, you get it, man. That's exactly what I um, because the same kind of thing. Like when I tried to, like it took me a little while to really find a sound. Because at first I wanted to just be like, I'm going to punish everyone's ears. But then for me, I'm like, yeah, this this isn't. It's it wasn't musical enough to you know make me feel like if I was like buying it, I probably wouldn't listen to a whole album of this. So it was kind of like meticulously tweaking and I, I do like when I demo something I just do it over and over and over again um, yeah. and then to the point where you know it's heavy it's slow but you don't it's not repetitive and boring and you do actually want to keep listening to the end and by the end of it you've got a, at least a tiny bit of energy left to maybe give another song a go it, it is your music, and please take this in the nicest possible way. It is an ordeal, insofar <laughs> as you, you've got to survive it. But that's, but that's. I think that's a great thing because this sort of it, it captures your attention. Is my point mm. there? And you go, I get sent a lot of material, okay. And uh, I love dealing with gatekeepers like Miller and Dicey because they don't send through shit. It's just that simple. <laughs> yeah. And I know when they send something through, it's gone through their hands, which means that they've studied what's going on and is it something that's worthy co-signing? And obviously your stuff is. But I, I sat down with yours and I have it on in the background. I've got two young daughters and we go about the house and I tend to have it just in the iPhone, in the pocket, truth be told, just so, mm. so I can hear what's going on in the background. And there was a moment with your material where I thought, I, I can't do this now. I've actually got to sit down and listen to it with headphones. That's the key, the headphones, yeah. because you've got some other just things. I can't do this anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I could hear that. I can hear there was, and then another key word, there's a lot of intent with your music. And that's mm. that. I understand now where that comes from with the demoing, the constant putting it through the, through the cycle. See, I'm a writer, so mm. I'm constantly going through drafts. The, the more drafts to a point, of course, the better. Okay. Yeah, and that's kind of like what you're doing with with what you with Lord of Limbs and obviously the rest of Subhuman Scum. So, with obviously with the day job that you're doing and life in general, I talked about balance before. But I mean, mm -hmm. this isn't music. You just bleh, you know, it's not just a grass, a blasting, grinding punkathon <clears throat> like Nap yeah. Napalm Death Scum or what mm -hmm. have you. There's a lot of parts here, man. And there's a lot of things that you've truly thought about in the arrangement. So what do you do, mate? Do you have to, uh, you know, late at night when everybody, it's all quiet? Is this the moments in time when you put things down on tape, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, um, and I was thinking about this kind of in preparation for this chat the other day, I'm like, because I haven't really thought much about the writing. Because I did, like, I wrote these songs, I guess, three years ago now. I started writing the Burial Pit stuff. Um and I remembered I went through my phone. A lot of those riffs, um, like particularly on the opening track that comes out, um, I'd actually just just wrote in my head when I was cruising around. I've got a bunch of voice memos oh, wow. of, of yeah. me going just like looking down, 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 down. But particularly found like when I went out um, into nature a bit, um, like with my partner trying to go on bushwalks and stuff like that. Nice. Um, into the national parks and things, and I went to spend went to New Zealand when I was writing some of this stuff, and like cruising around a glacier, <laughs> just having like no bullshit anywhere. I think just opened that part of my mind so that is ready to be creative, and the shit kind of just flows in. <laughs> I actually found like COVID um, for me was fantastic in terms of songwriting because I think. Um, like I'm quite a social person, but I guess I had like last year, this or the start of last year, I had weddings and trips and things like pretty much every weekend I had booked out for ages. I'm like, God, when am I ever going to make any music or do anything? And then when everything got cancelled, 
I think that part of my brain that was worrying about all that stuff was just like had a sigh of relief. And literally every time I picked up a guitar, I wrote a riff that I've ended up using for something great. Wrote, started a new project with some dudes. Like having that space, just the yeah, the tune just kind of flood out. So I guess that's kind of like a waffly answer to what your question was. But I guess the, yeah, the process and finding answer. time for do it is um, try and give myself some space. <laughs> and uh, I am quite lucky that usually they. The, the riffs just come to me when I'm, if I ever try, if I sit down, I'm like, all right, I'm going to write a song. Absolutely nothing. Like it's just a shit show. Yeah. But it'll be when I'm, yeah, like walking around and something will pop into my head. I should release it one time, all these stupid vocal riffs I've got on my phone. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that seems to be the kind of the best way as well. My, it's funny, my, my girlfriend says sometimes she'll be talking to me and, um, if I haven't responded for a second, she'll look at me. She goes, are you running a riff? <laughs> like, I have. She's like, I can see it on your face. <laughs> I remember back in 96 when Mike Patton from Faith No More and Mr. Bungle and Fandomass and God knows how many other bands released his first solo album. Not many people know it's out. It was called Adult Themes for Voice. Okay. And it's him with a voice. write that down. Yeah, check it out. It's the weirdest shit you'll probably ever hear because it's just him making strange noises using the microphone and a dictaphone as part, <laughs> as the instrument as well. So he's like holding it up like a like a yeah, I think this is what he's doing anyway. I think he's using that. He, he's there's a whole listen have a listen to it and yeah, you'll know what I'm saying. It's fucking strange. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he's a pretty weird guy actually Mike Patton if he's if he's doing that stuff it's not even again it's not music don't even think for a moment you're going to hear anything approaching <laughs> yeah. music but just just echoing the comments there that you make made about uh yeah humming the riffs I think we've all done that because I'm a musician yeah, too yeah. but uh but yeah you, you often uh, I know people on YouTube have done it where they've put songs together where they've done that sort of stuff mm. and uh but, it, you know, there's, there's a market for everything, mate, so you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll do it as a bonus track at some point or something on the inlay of the record. <laughs> so what about your lyrical content then, your lyrical themes? Yeah, that usually, kind of like, a lot of that will come from just watching the news um, or documentaries or, um, like, there's a song on the record called Priest, uh, which, again, it's always quite blunt, is about uh, a pedophile priest kind of uh, <clears throat> meeting a pretty horrific demise. Um, and that was when the uh, – I saw that movie Spotlight. Have you seen that movie? No, no. Is that, is that about that? Is it <laughs> yeah, it was, it's about um, – yeah, it's a true story, um, yeah, about like a, a newspaper in the States who uh, I think it was in Boston started um, unraveling, you know, basically just all that pedophilia that we know about in the Catholic church and then mm. how, how high up it actually went. Um, but the worst thing, and which came from, yeah, I guess watching a few different shows and things like that is the end of all of them was, and then the Pope stepped in and then they got moved somewhere else to some even better job and swept under the rug. Nothing ever happened. Um, so yeah, so I would just sit there and write my thoughts, which were usually just like, you know, rage. And then, um, yeah, try and think a bit more about what they've actually done and then flipping the script on it a bit. Like the main, the, the reason I wanted to kind of go that way um, and the other songs, a lot of them are about, you know, people who abuse, it's, people, it's abusers really, people that abuse children, abuse women, abuse power. It's people who do that get away with it um, and it's about, you know, getting or people who are victims of these things getting kind of, you know, violent retribution for it. Um, and I was reading, yeah, when I, I was reading um, an article that popped up on some metal, random metal website, I don't know what it was, which was just like top 10 most extreme metal lyrics or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was called. Um, and I was reading through it thinking, no, oh, this would be, you know, some funny stuff or I might get some inspiration out of it. And it was almost exclusively just these, you know, random men writing songs about doing like horrifically violent things to women. Um, 
which I think is, you know, probably a bigger issue in terms of the whole metal scene. Um, so I read that and it just kind of filled me with rage and I was like, you know, fuck this, man, let's, let's flip this around and make the story about, you know, survivors of all this horrible shit and given, you know, the perpetrators getting what they really deserve. Yeah, I'm with you on the gore grind shit. Yeah, it's a, it's a genre that I, I had trouble getting into as a kid and still do. I think the music's great. I think the riffs are killer in, in most instances, but uh, some of that some of that sicko subject matter and that content, I think, who the fuck, what the hell have you been through to write this crap? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I appreciate, uh, you know, freedom of speech and... Um, you know, you know, it's like horror film. Like the things that I write about, I would never actually do. I'm not a violent person or anything. So I do appreciate in that sense, but I'm also very aware of kind of the the level of misogyny that exists in the world, not just in the metal scene, and how these kind of small things over and over again do have a really, you know, flow-on effect. Mm. And I guess not that I'm you know, expecting to change the world with any burial pit lyrics. But I guess for me, I just wanted to put a, you know, a different message out there. I'm hearing you, and it's a good way to do it because it's not like you're going woke and bashing people over the head and telling us we're racist and sexist and blah, blah, blah. You're, yeah. you're, you're writing thought-provoking material that is in preference to a lot of the stuff. And here's the key term again that I use with that material that we're referring to. It's in bad taste. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think that's uh, these guys who write this material and um, get off on it. Yeah, they're not the sort of people I want in my household. I can assure you. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of lazy as well. To be honest, like I'm a pre- I'm probably my biggest critic when it comes to writing any music, and that's why, you know, when I am demoing stuff, I'll just do it over and over again until I think, like, I try not to Chinese democracy it, but at least to the point where I think it's you know, as good as it can be. And it would be easy, you know, it would be the easy route to just write gory shit about slicing up innocent women. But, you know, I wanted to challenge myself a bit and hopefully write something that might be a bit more enticing for people to listen to as well. Yeah, it's, uh, I think the clock's ticking on a lot of that stuff, just with regards to the political narratives that are out there too. And uh, I, I recently interviewed Eric Rutan who's now a cannibal corpse and an all right mm. one of the most fantastic musicians on the planet in my, in my opinion. But uh, I didn't broach this subject with him because there was no need to, he doesn't write the lyrics, but, uh, and it's not necessarily even something that I think um, a corpse grinder hasn't indulged in a lot, but a lot of Barnes's early lyrics were about that stuff, you know, fuck with mm. life and all that sort of shit. Yep. <laughs> um, but uh, they haven't been called out for. And to be honest, I don't think they should either. But it's, you know, with the way that this woke thing is is going and they, people haven't been as circumspect as you've articulated, though. Mm. They've just applied these broad brush statements from an ideology, this woke ideology, and you need to be more surgical about it, which I think you've yeah, done yeah. there. And, and you're, not, you're not saying that you, you stand completely in opposition to all of this shit. You're simply saying... We play this sort of music. I'm simply not going to write those sort of lyrics. My lyrics are more thought-provoking. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's... Cheers. <laughs> yeah, sounds like you get it. It's good. Yeah, no, it's Even cool. just hearing you say that, it makes all the <laughs> cool, meticulous cool. hours worthwhile. <laughs> oh, I do. I, look, the other thing too is I get it that you've, you've clearly laboured over this, and it's not easy. I get that. I haven't been able to do what you do. I'm a bassist, but I also play guitar. And uh, it's having that vision that I think that you've got and listening to a conversation that Eddie Van Halen was having earlier on. He had it in 1997 or 1998, but I I first watched it today, where he's talking about the ideas that come Mm. from the ether. And it's exactly what, to to go back to the point that you made earlier about you try to write a song, it doesn't happen you've just got to be present and in the moment and have a device like one of these things yeah. capture it and you capture it any way that you can, but you, you've, you've got to do the hard work then afterwards to, to turn those ideas because that's all they are into something tangible. And you've done that. Yeah. You got to troll through a lot of shit and cringe through yourself humming shit as well, which is <laughs> a painful experience. Oh, well, well, what about rehearsal then? 
Um, you're in Sydney, so I know the COVID lockdowns uh, haven't been as severe down there as what they were in Melbourne. But um, mm. tell me about how that works. Do you do you send the material out via Google Drive to the guys to learn, and then you all convene at some rehearsal space somewhere, or how does it work? Yeah, pretty much, man. Like we're all um, like while we're all very committed to the cause, we also you know work full time. A couple of the dudes are dads. Another one's going to be a dad soon. Um, play in other bands. Griff does a million things. <laughs> um, so we also, you know, have to be realistic about how much time we can put into what essentially is, you know, a passion project. Um, so yeah, it works out pretty well. I just, um, I guess, I get the boring part where I have to tab it all out. But I'll just uh, right. demo everything, write tabs, um, send those out to everyone to learn in their own time. Um, and then we'll do the vocals separately. So Scotty will come around to my place, um, which I'm sure is hilarious for the neighbours, just in my little apartment screaming away. Um, but, again, he, he's like me. He's very meticulous with his vocals. So we'll, um, yeah, just sit in this room I'm in now and just go line by line, try it a bunch of different ways until we've got the whole thing done with vocals and then send that to the lads. And then you... Cross your fingers that everyone's had time to learn it and, um, pardon me, jump into the jam space and then, yeah, ideally we don't have to spend too much time because we're not writing together in the jam space. It's usually more just a polishing exercise. Yeah, and I think it needs to be too, by the way, because when you're spending good money being in a rehearsal studio or assume you are and it's about, yeah, yeah. I, I call it tightening the nuts and bolts. Yeah, yeah. Actually drives me fucking mad. Like <laughs> situations I've been in in the past where you put the time into demo stuff and send it out and mm-hmm. then you get to the space and no one's learnt it. It's just like, well, you know, I love throwing away my time. So this is all good. <laughs> I've, I've done gigs like that. No doubt you have as well. I've done gigs where people have turned up, not, re- not prepared, not rehearsed. Yeah. yeah. And, and you just look, you're on stage. I'm on stage and I'm looking over at them and I'm thinking, did you think you were going to fucking learn it via osmosis? <laughs> you were going to do, like, what the hell did you think was going to happen? We've got another 14 songs to go on the set. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and you've played, you played more wrong notes than right notes. You clearly don't know the material. What, what do you think is yeah. going to happen? It's this mentality with some musicians, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess, I don't know, mine's just the total opposite. I like to sound as good as I can and... Uh, just want to make the use, particularly when, and it's good that the other guys are on the same page, like because we're all, you know, so busy just living adult lives. Uh, yeah. It's the only way that you could really make it work without driving each other insane. I think that's And it would also key, take though. another five yeah. years to put something out. <laughs> but, you, but you just said it then, which is the, the way that I've framed it many, many times. If you're leading an adult life, one with responsibility, <laughs> you tend to understand time management. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, it's you meet, you meet these musicians where they've got all the time on their hands and they're the ones that will fuck up the most. I can yeah, assure you. It's, it's always been the way. Yeah. So what, what about shows, though, then? Because so I'd love to see you guys live. I, I, I'm very curious to see how it translates to the live arena. So have you got any booked? Yeah, so we're playing. Uh, we've got an album launch in Melbourne on the 29th of May. Um, so we're playing there. Awesome bill. Playing at Old Bar. Um, You've been to Old Bar before? You've been no, I'm Melbourne? Not, not too familiar with Melbourne, to be honest, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I grew up in Melbourne. Um, really cool venue. Pretty small as well, which is kind of what we're after. Um, and we're playing there with a band called Munt. I don't know if you know those guys, like uh, a blackened grind band. Um, so we played our second show ever on their tour um, and have stayed in touch with those guys. So we're playing with them. The band, which I hope I don't pronounce wrong, I say Isua or Isua, I-S-U-A. Okay. Just made up from um, a few different members from some Melbourne bands like No Haven, Dawn, Giant. Um, and you should definitely give them a spin as well. It's just kind of pure sludge, I would say, just feels. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we got that coming up and then we're doing our Sydney launch on the 4th of June. Um, again, fucking awesome lineup. We've got Descent come down from Brizzy. Mm-hmm. Um, just death metal awesomeness. Um, Alchemy, 
who uh, just put some new stuff out recently as well. Again, that kind of black and death grind, everything. Mm. Um, and a band or who I haven't actually seen yet, but have heard their kind of first thing they put out, just OAR or, um, and there's a bit more kind of post black metal, I guess, like a bit of that kind of death heavy sort of. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. A bit of that. Um, so yeah, we fucking can't wait to play these shows, particularly because we like, we only played a handful of, standing up shows because they're um oh you did some yeah. of those sit down things did you we did yeah so we because our first shows were in late 2019 and we only really had a couple of them and then we were recording uh and then the plague came and then yeah late last year we jumped on a couple particularly our, our friend um dave who did the music video for us for lord of limbs um was by Grim, Grim Reflections. Um, he put on Resurrection Fest at Crowbar in Sydney as like a fundraiser for them. Um, Resurrection no. Fest. Oh, yeah, I read about that. Yeah, they, they got they got over. They made their number two, didn't they? Recently they did, yeah, with, yeah. with all the extra stuff. So that was awesome. Yeah, another awesome venue run by awesome crew. Um, but, yeah, so we played a few sit-down ones, which were weird, but we were just keen to do anything. Um but yeah, we've pretty much played as many sit down as we have standing up. So very fucking keen to be playing to an audience that can at least stand up with their arms crossed instead of sit down with their arms crossed. <laughs> very much a band of the of the times, aren't you? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't stand all of that shit. You know, the uh, literally the sits. Well, yeah, literally the. Uh, <laughs> The whole idea, you could have had rapid testing units set up. You, you understand what they <laughs> you know, They could have done that, okay, because they were within to, to, within a margin of an error, they were correct. But mm. this has been the issue is because up here, I think Crowbar up here, I might be wrong, but I think it's closed down. As, yeah. Yeah, I, that's not good. That's bloody uh. awful, as a matter of fact, because uh, I think the last gig I saw there, which is one of the best I've ever witnessed, was Corrosion of Conformity. And I mm. caught up with Pepper and the guys afterwards. Jesus, good guys, great band, killer live outfit. And it yeah. had a decent, the old one was downstairs on uh, Brunswick Street now, and then it moved to Warner Street, I think, in the old bright side. And uh, it, it lost a bit of the ambience, but I understand people have got to do what they've got to do to keep a business afloat. And we had an extreme metal venue, and there's the key word again. I keep saying key word. There it is. Have a drinking <laughs> contest in this podcast for every time I say key word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you yeah. have a shot of tequila. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, uh, it was – I don't know whether we've got too many uh, around. I think Mansfield Tavern has been putting on a lot of stuff. I know Miller and Renault, uh, Black Renault are up here. Uh, I didn't get yeah. to see them because I had a gig last week myself. But uh, I think they're in the suburbs now, man. I think in terms of in terms of inner city clubs in the valley, I think it's gone at the moment. It's just that someone else needs to start one up. We, and we've kind of experienced that, man, because we've um, we wanted to do Brisbane um, as part of these launch shows at the same time, hmm. um, or Queen, any Queensland shows. Um, but yeah, we couldn't get a venue. <laughs> Mainly because the ones that were suitable, because there's so few, uh, were booked up. And then even, you know, we've looked at later in the year and it's even a battle to find. I mean, I guess, you know, none of us have spent a heap of time up there, so we don't know the scene too well. But, um, yeah, it seems like a bit of a battle to find the venues that are putting it on. I think it's only Mansfield, dude. I honestly, at this point in time, and there's Mo's Desert Cult Clubhouse down at Burley. Uh, mm. I think that's it, man. I, I'd, I'd like to think I've thought very seriously about opening a venue around Mount Gravatt, Southside. Yeah. Uh, I just don't know whether I'm willing to take the risk. It's probably not the best time <laughs> currently. <laughs> well, I was going to do it before COVID. I was going to scout a place, just a, you know, a 70 or 80 uh, capacity venue. Yeah. Not a big one. Bands like you guys for that sort of thing. Because yeah, I'd yeah. love to foster the underground. But good, but you decent fucking bands, man. You know, like yeah, yeah. none of this weirdo crusty stuff. Like bands like you guys where there's a program, you get what's going on, easy to deal with. You just want to perform live. Here's a venue. Yeah, yeah. You know, sort of amazing. Have, 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 and it doesn't sound like much, but have at least 50 or 60 people turn up. So as a little bit of a peak would happen and there's a bit of atmosphere there, that sort of thing. That's still a bit of a dream I've got to say that I've got. Man, well, yeah, we'll play it when you've got it going. <laughs> it's perfect. 
so you, you guys, as far as I'm concerned, you guys have got it going on. Interest from overseas. Have you had a lot of people reach out? Um, we've had just kind of the random dudes, um, just listeners hitting us up who have found us on a playlist or from Spotify or whatever, just mm. sending us heaps of good stuff from like Finland and Norway and I think a bit in the States, maybe in the UK. Um, but yeah, as far as that goes, that's, I think the idea of <laughs> internet, it's weird to even think about international anything. So um, I guess, yeah, it hasn't really been on our radar too much um, and we haven't heard too much. But, um, yeah, of course, keen as to get as much music as far away as possible. Mm. I think it's that's interesting. Been, sorry, you go. No, you go. You're on. Um, I think that's been kind of a really – hopefully it'll turn out to be a really good thing for Aussie metal. Um, like when you're looking at – did you see the black and open air lineup that went out the other yeah. day? Nice work on um, there, yeah. Yeah, fucking awesome lineup. And heaps of, you know, scene, bands that are in the scene getting mm. a good gig. Um, and I think, like, if it wasn't for all the borders being shut and stuff, probably bands like Diet is Murder and Psychroptic, even like Ammo and the Sifers are up there, they'd probably be overseas doing all the European tours and shit. Um so I think it's worked out pretty well on our end and I hope it has a kind of flow on effect that people realise, because I saw a lot of comments on those when they posted the lineup of people being like, fuck, I don't know any of these bands. Uh, what are all these names apart from Die Art? And I was kind of like, if you want to, if you go to any local gig in your local city, you will know all of these bands. Um, so I'm kind of hoping from this shitstorm of COVID, it maybe injects a bit of life into the local scene and gets a bit more people to, you know, appreciate how many awesome bands we have right here at home. It's very interesting, isn't it, in that our Australian bands, in my experience, once you hit a certain point, you get far more interest from people overseas than you do from people domestically. And that's, yeah. been, that's been mirrored with the podcast. My, my domestic listenership, my overall listenership is increasing, but my domestic listenership is down to about 11%. Mm. It's very strange. So weird. And it's, I'm talking like it's shrinking. Like people who've been listening, they've stopped listening. I'm not saying that because I'm growing, it's just as growing at a, a, a slower rate. It's shrinking yeah, a yeah. little bit. And I, that, that, I mean, I just interviewed Max Cavalier. As I said, I've got Eric Rutan coming up. I'm thinking, I'm not sure I can be doing much more. But, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's something who else can you interview? Yeah, yeah, Dino, yeah, I was reading Dino. through the list as well. Like, fuck, man. I better plan some clever shit to say. There's a serious <laughs> list of it. <laughs> oh, I just try to have conversations. The, the point of difference that I offer is uh, to both yourself, yourself as the interviewee and uh, the listener is it's a conversation. And I hope I hope you found that because I think uh, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and a lot of YouTube. They're still podcasts, but they do the stupid video thing where there's them and the Zoom, you know, Zoom flips. To whoever's speaking, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they put that up, and I've I've elected not to do that, except for a couple of occasions where the band has asked me to do that, and we've had a compelling case to do it. But I just try to be a bit different that way. But um, mate, what, what works, can you do? Man. Yeah, you can only be, do your best and be who you are in your soul and present that. Yeah, but it was like um, I remember twenty eighteen. It might have been a couple of years ago um, when I was still playing with Yana Marmo, and we were playing. You know, a fair few like Doom Stoner shows, um, and I'm not saying us, but you know, heaps of it was a pretty big scene for it at the time. Like lots of local Sydney bands playing that Doomy stuff, and gigs. You know, you get a few punters kind of coming in the odd good show, but you know, on a whole, nothing that'll blow your mind. And then we had Windhand and Cough, um, great bands coming in on a Wednesday night, and the place is fucking sold out and full by 7 p.m. <laughs> Um, wow, and I'm Wednesday like, night. yeah, yeah, and I'm like, man, like these are great bands, but you realize we've got bands playing very similar stuff at an equal level, if not better, for half the price on the weekends that you can see every fucking week. But where are all these people? Um, but yeah, it's like you said, there's not an international name or a USA bracket next to the band, people don't seem to show as much interest here. No, and I have it on good authority. We're seen as an easy lay by shitty American bands. 
Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and that pisses me yeah, off cool. because, because I mean, if you get – I've, I've witnessed some – and I'll name one, Smashing Pumpkins. They were fucking awful. They were atrocious. <laughs> and I, I just looked at these guys. It's like, why, why did you come here? But the people around me, they were screaming. This was 1996, so years ago. They were screaming, mm. you know, like Beatles style for these dudes. Yeah. <laughs> and they were shit. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I, I spoke yeah. to Fiona Horn about it, who was in um, Def FX. Do you remember Def FX at all? Uh, no, I don't, unfortunately. Killer band from back then. They supported Smashing Pumpkins that night. And I was so glad that I had an opportunity to tell her she was better. They were better than Smashing Pumpkins. It was uh, yeah, yeah. a big gig, you know, Festival Hall here, I think it was, Horton Pavilion in Sydney, Festival Hall, I think also in Melbourne, I think it was. It was that that level of gig, of course, being yeah. Rangira. But it was terrible, you know, and uh, they played, I think I've checked this, verified this, and, uh, you know, setlist.com where you can see where the mm. set list, I think they only played nine or ten songs, less I think it was, and then they did an extended jam. Great. Uh, yeah. Get to hear the Smashing off. Pumpkins not play their instruments. <laughs> <laughs> it was serious. It was, it was, it actually put me off going to, going to gigs of that nature ever again. Mm. And and I like there's people like uh, Metallica, obviously Aussie, that I'll always go and see. Maybe yeah, not yeah. so much Metallica, but Aussie, of course. Um, but to Iron Maiden, those big events, but they bring every it time. Them, <laughs> yeah, when they, they, I mean, they, they bring Man, it Iron Maiden, the they put on a fucking show every time. All like, I have so many. If I had to put like my top hundred nights of my life, all the Maiden gigs would be in this top twenty of those easily. <laughs> Did you see the somewhere on tour tour? Was that the last oh, one? No, two thousand and eight. Two thousand eight. That was yeah. That was the first time I saw them. Yeah, same here. That was my first yeah. maiden show, and uh, literally, I remember. So I went to. They did two nights in Melbourne. The first night, full nosebleed, like I was literally leaning against the back of the wall, because um, this is when we had to go to this shopping center and line up for fucking tickets in the morning. I remember um, those. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the next day managed well then so that sold out we got our fucking nosebleeds and then while we're at the shops they're like we're putting another one on and then we rushed in and managed to get on the floor but i still say me and my mates talk about it all the time and there was like a moment in fear of the dark and i was crowd surfing i think i would have only been like 19 or something and was crowd surfing and ended up just pitched right in front of yannick and for some reason i wasn't moving anymore like i was just sat like i was sitting on the fucking chair <laughs> and we were just and he was singing it to me and I was singing it to him. And was fucking, and I'm like, man, that is. Here in the dark. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was in the nosebleeds too here at uh, Boondle, the uh, entertainment yeah. center up here. And, uh, but yeah, I've, I'd loved Maiden my virtually outside of young childhood, my entire life. So actually seeing them live, mm. it was strange seeing them live though. I've got to say, cause I've seen their videos. I had all of their videos. And then, yeah. and then their DVDs, and then I watched all of their YouTube shit from about 2006 onwards, whenever yeah. YouTube sort of came in. So seeing them, especially after watching Rock in Rio, I think I wore out the DVD. Oh, man, um, yeah, yeah, I remember getting yeah, it for I mean, Christmas. How good is that? I, I love <laughs> that, that so much. I remember getting the poster, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it, was, it was one of those things where I was like, I'm loving what I'm watching, but I feel like I've seen it before. So I still, it didn't detract from the experience, but it was – yeah, yeah it was almost no different to watching them on a video because of the production. It was just, they bought it. They bought the production down with them. Yeah. Yeah. Just absolute pros. Yeah. When, <laughs> when, when uh, Eric Danielson and Watane came down, I spoke to Eric and uh, he's another good bloke, actually, despite them being a full on satanic band. He's yeah. just a very easy guy to talk to and get along with. There's a lot of Swedes are, if you've ever found that with Swedes. Yeah. yeah. And um, he said, he sort of said a half disappointedly, half not to me that they weren't bringing down the full production. I went, dude, that's killer. Cause you guys are about the best black metal band around at the moment in terms of just full on, no bullshit balls to the wall, no kids, yeah, yeah. black metal where, and I said, we're getting the Ramones version. He goes, you get it. That's it. Yeah, you know? And I was, I was like, and they played the crowbar. Yeah. It yeah. was so good, man. I got video. Yeah. It. it was so intense. Oh, that'd be amazing, man. Yeah. I've only, I only saw them at, um, Download they did one year or Soundwave, sorry. Um, I think it was a Soundwave, and yeah, that was like big fucking stage, flaming crucifix, everything kind of. <laughs> well, were they on at like three in the afternoon or something like that? <laughs> they the actually had a, had a decent decent spot, but on one of the side stages, 
Um, like, so they're like late in the day, but you know, which yeah. is kind of good because like the really kind of mainstream ones are on the main line. And you got to see just absolute brutality, like you said. Mm. Mate, I'll make this my final question, final point wrapped up in one. But uh, where can people find your material and the social side of things? So you've obviously got Facebook and probably Instagram as well. So can you talk through that? Yes. Um, so the best place if you go, I mean, as of May 21, uh, Subhuman Scum is going to be on all the platforms you can think of. May <laughs> Spotify, okay. yep. iTunes Music, YouTube all of those things. Um, but you can pre-order the album now uh, via our Bandcamp. So just the bear, put Burial Kid into Bandcamp and you're good to go. Um, we've got merch bundles up there. We've got limited bone white vinyl. Um, got T-shirts, herb grinders, or whatever herb may interest herb you. Herb grinders, nice <laughs> merchandise. If you're into cooking. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, those, those are up now as well, which... Um, you'll probably actually get before May 21st if anyone shucks a pre-order in. Um, but, yeah, that's the best place. And then when we're doing shows, come to the shows. <laughs> well, look, congratulations on crafting what I anticipate will be one of the best recent grinding death metal grooving albums that, I'll probably, that will be around. I mean, I don't think you can do more than what you've done uh, based on the evidence that I have is from Lord of Limbs, but I, I imagine the rest of the album sounds like that. So, congratulations on crafting it for a start and i just i'd love to see you guys up here yeah thanks heaps man i really fucking appreciate it um and yeah we're working talking to some bands up there and as soon as we can get a venue and sort out babysitters for the dads we'll be up there <laughs> i have a feeling it's been the big obstacle to me getting out and about in the last few years so uh but <laughs> yeah. yeah look uh, good look good luck with everything and, and i meant what i said man i think you guys are you're on point you're writing everything so you're you're on point with what you're doing. I mean, this is this is. Uh, I, I don't feel like I've heard what I'm like. What you're doing also too. It's the the style might have been done before, but the way you're doing it is new. You've got a new angle. Mm. Okay, and that's Cheers, my man. point on that. So, and that that all comes down to the demoing that you're doing, man. So, whatever happens from here, man, just keep doing it. I hope, well, fingers crossed, you can keep doing it. I can't wait to hear the album too. So, yeah, thanks, Eastman. I really fucking appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words and the support. Love it. Love your work. That was Jack Thomas from Sydney-based Death Sludge Outfit Burial Pit. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. My name is Andrew McKay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Thank you for tuning in.